Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome to the Leadership Journey. This is your host, Bill Search. So glad and uh, honored that you'd spend a little bit of time with me today, or I'd spend a little bit of time with you. You know, from time to time, a book crosses your path. I don't know if you're like me, but you read a book and it just hits you precisely at the right time. You're thirsty for what it offers. And I know, technically speaking, Nikki Lenz, our good friend over there at the Reading Lens, is the book guy, and he's supposed to talk about books. And I don't actually know how to talk about leadership without talking about books. So at the risk of redundancy of two guys talking about books that they like, this is a book that has come across my path recently, and it's called uh, The Learning Cycle. And it was written by a husband and wife team, Dwayne and Muriel Elmer. He was a Wheaton professor of mine when I was in grad school there. And uh, his wife's a lovely person as well, both PhDs from Michigan State. And they hit me between the eyes uh, just at the right time. Because, you know, if you're like me and you lead the charge of some sort of discipleship in your church, small groups, maybe you have classes, but you, you, you want to see people, what, grow, right? But there's always the frustration, especially after you've been doing this for a while, because, you know, seeing some of this growth is either very slow or sometimes you don't see it at all. And so we start with, well, we start with a motivational question. Why does somebody even join a group of ours anyhow? Brittany and Todd, they've been married two years. They've been at the church for 18 months. You have groups, and so they sign up. Why'd they sign up? Maybe they signed up to make friends. Maybe she signed up to make friends, and he signed up because she made him sign up. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe he's got some sort of networking-type business, and he thought, well, this would be a great way to meet some people so that maybe I could get some clients out of the deal, and she came along for the ride. Maybe, maybe they said, ah, I want to grow so deep in my faith and I want to be transformed by the power of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? And sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times there's real mixed motives. The real question then is why do we want people in groups? You know, what's our intent? And for that, I, I, I think of one of the most encapsulating beautiful passages the Apostle Paul wrote. It's in the tail end of the first chapter of Colossians. And Paul says this, he, that is Jesus Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture? Fully mature in Christ. The old Greek word there for fully uh, mature is uh, telian. It's also translated in the old King James as perfect. And when Romeo and Juliet was being written by William Shakespeare, the King James Bible was taking shape. And so through those 400 years since then, the English language has transformed itself a bit and words mean different things. And so what was perfect in the old King James, we want people to be perfect. Well, today when we say perfect, we mean something different than, well, Will Shakespeare would have meant by it. To them, it meant mature, grown up, 
put together as you should be, and to us, perfect as flawless, without any sort of uh, blemish whatsoever. And that's not what Paul is saying to the Colossians. He's saying, you know, the reason that we uh, tell you how not to live and we tell you how to live, that's that admonishing and teaching, is so that you'll be all grown up in Christ. And to this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So how do we do that? How do we help people grow up in the faith? Well, this is where this book uh, just hit me at the right time, because these are questions I rattle around in my mind quite often. And and so uh, the Elmers, the paradox, they're both PhDs, so they're a paradox, get the joke. Hopefully you smiled and didn't cringe when I used that joke. Well, they, they talk about five steps to helping somebody really learn. And the first step is uh, that they need to retain this new information. They have to somehow grab on to this information. This is why you can't kill people with content. You can't overdo it because they can only retain so much. You can only remember so much. Think about the last sermon that you listened to. Depending on what day of the week you're listening to this, maybe it was a day ago, maybe it was five days ago, maybe it was six days ago. But let's just assume that you didn't go right from listening to this sermon to five minutes later listening to this podcast. Pretty safe bet. So from the time that you heard that sermon to right now, what was it about? What, what was one golden nugget that you thought, I'm never going to forget this? That's a hard one to answer, isn't it? It's a very hard one to answer because um, for 30 minutes or if you're in one of those really cool bearded churches uh, for 45 or 55 minutes, you know, <laughs> no offense to anybody who has a beard. But you know what I'm getting at is some of these sermons are very long. They're very good. But do you remember? And so step one is that there has to be something that I, I can recall. And incidentally, this is why groups are so important is, is it's a place to really um, articulate that. Hey, what did you get out of this? And they put it in their own words. And then the second step of the learning cycle is that there has to be a connection between what I just learned and it's important in my life. In other words, that new information has to have value. And uh, all too often, a educator has, uh, well, that we have something we want to say. And we don't ever ask the question of, will they care? Because that's really at the core of value. Do I care? Do I care about this information? What difference does it make in my life? Now, that might be the question. If you're leading a group and you've just been exposed to some information, it might be the question that you, uh, you ponder, that you throw out to the group. Hey, what what difference does this make in your life? And if it's crickets, if there's nothing, you may have accidentally stumbled upon a disconnect. People have information, but they don't have the heart engaged. And you got to connect the head and the heart. So the logic center, the information center has to connect with the emotive center. And so step one is, you know, to be able to retain that information. Step two is to value the information. Step three is to, and this is really interesting. Don't miss this. Step three is to ponder applications for this information. Now, um, I'm not saying get ahead of the curriculum and apply it right away. What I'm saying is, is how does this information make a difference 
in my life now? Um, how could I take what I just learned here and apply it over here and over here and over here? So, for instance, let's say, let's say um, you were you were um, studying a passage on marriage, and uh, you're in a group of couples, and you're maybe drilling into Ephesians 5 or the third chapter of Colossians, and you, you really want to get to the heart of what, what it means to be a loving spouse. Well, when you get into that, you're inevitably going to come into the concept that, that a husband and wife come from two different cultures. I mean, you could have grown up across the street from each other, attend the same school, church, parents could have arranged your marriage. But the minute that you share a bedroom together and a dinner table together, you realize I have just entered into a brand new culture. So you're studying marriage um, and all the intricacies of that. And then in the process, you, you make a leap and say, you know, I work with somebody and they're a little bit different than I am. They see things different. They, they can frustrate me a little bit. Well, it's a little bit like my marriage. It takes work. And I have to, I have to start from a place of, I, I love this person. I care about them. Now, obviously, when you're in the covenant of marriage, that's a little different than the like the uh, you share a cubicle wall with somebody. But the idea is you're learning in step three to, to transfer this information that you've just taken in from one context to another and maybe to another and to another. And what this is all doing is it's sort of like you've gone to the store and you found a shirt or a sweater that you really like. And you think, I could wear this to work and I could wear this when I'm just chilling in my house and I could wear this when I'm invited to a dinner party and I could I, I could wear this um, when I when I'm uh, just going out shopping for groceries I can wear this in these different settings versus that you see the sweater and you're like I love this sweater it's really great but I pretty much could only wear it one time I have a velvet blazer black velvet blazer and uh, the only time a man can wear a black velvet blazer is during um, Advent, you know, during the month of December and for Christmas services, you wear black velvet blazer in any other time of the year and you're a dude, you're a creep. Okay. I just apologize for anybody who wears a black velvet blazer throughout other times of year, but, but actually I don't apologize. Quit doing it because you're creeping people out. You know, it's it's because the black velvet blazer has one purpose. It's a seasonal thing. It, it only it only works when it's chilly outside and when it's like Christmassy and festive or a New Year's party or something like that. And and yet the the sweater may have seventeen applications. The black velvet blazer has one. So I hope you're catching my drift here and not too distracted. I'm just distracted myself in that. But you you ponder the different ways that this could be used in your life. And now you've increased the value of it. Now, here's the thing. And I appreciate that the Elmers are very realistic people. They're educators, they're researchers, they're not idealists, they actually study these things. And when they looked at all the other research attached to these things, what they discovered is there's inevitable barriers that happen. And it usually happens between step three and four. Which totally makes sense because, you know, how many times have we adopted new information? We're like, I remember that. That is so good. I love it. I, I can do it here and here. Oh, but but my best friend's going to think I'm a weirdo. So I may, maybe I better temper that. Oh, my parents might, they might, uh, might kind of wonder if I've lost my marbles. 
oh, the, 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 the people at work, um, they're, they're, this is an instant demotion if I grab hold of whatever this is, right? So there's barriers. And the barriers are, are usually threefold. They're either the fear that I can't do it. I can't continue it. I, I am not able. Think of every time somebody's thought, oh, I should go on a diet. But usually the first thing is I can't do it. Other people can. I can't. I've tried. I can't. And in, in our, maybe our history is checkered with failure on these things. So there's that sense of I, I, I can't. And that's the fear inside of us. Then there is the fear of others. That's the second one. That's another barrier. Very common is the people that are very close in my life. The maybe it's a, a husband, a wife, my kids, my parents, my coworkers, the people in my small group. Whatever it is, if I really were to live out this biblical truth in my life, and I was to really put it into place, other people would, um, well, they would maybe recategorize me demote me in the relational uh, place that I enjoy currently. And so um, as a result, uh, that barrier is massive, the fear of others. But there's a third one, and this is one we often overlook, and this is the actual fear of the general culture, is that, uh, well, we don't do it that way. That's not the way we do things. We do things differently. And so because the culture is so different, now we have... uh, we, we have talked ourselves out of it because we're, we're afraid of maybe tradition. You know, just think of, uh, just think of all the different uh, challenges, particularly in churches. And, and there's a big answer that often kind of comes up. We joke about it. Some of us have actually heard these words. Some of us just feel these words, even if they're not said quite this way, which is, we've never done it. Finish that sentence that way before, right? We've never done it that way before. And it could be said in the sweetest way, well, we've never done it that way before. Translation, we're never going to do it that way ever. Okay, sorry to whisper in the microphone. That did sound creepy even coming through the headphones. But but, but um, this is a cultural thing. And, and sometimes uh, cultures have a way of imposing their expectations upon you. And so uh, the way you get around this is you anticipate. They say, hey, just know the barriers are coming. So you might even like, for instance, in your small group, let's say you encounter some great biblical truth and and, and it just grabs hold of your heart and the heart of your group. One of the smart things to do if you're leading others is to say, hey, what are the barriers that are going to come up? We all agree right now this is a great idea. What's going to keep us from doing it? And start talking that through. Get people to name names. I don't mean gossip, but I mean, you know, how oh, my mom is really going to be upset at this. How come? Talk it through. Maybe mom has, maybe mom should be upset. Maybe mom should be upset because she's wrong and it's okay to upset her. Or maybe, maybe what you do is you brainstorm ways to help other people around us understand what's going on, why we're making a particular change. Hey, Small Group Network, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer, and I am interrupting this great episode of Leadership Journey to talk to you about some great events coming up within the Small Group Network. Have you been missing connection and conferences over the past year? Well, you're in luck because we have a few great ones popping up all over the U.S. Here are just a few. Accelerate South Carolina is April 12th through the 13th. Accelerate Florida is April 20th through the 21st. Accelerate Las Vegas, May 4th through the 5th. And Align Nashville, May 12th. Make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events for more information. Now back to Leadership Journey with Bill Search. 
I remember early days where I felt called to ministry and I was uh, 19 years of age and uh, I, my dad, I grew up in a church going home. We were, uh, as I always joke, we were Shiite Baptists. We were, we were, we didn't just go to church when the lights were on. We had a key to that building. We went in there and turned those lights on. We were first in, first out or last out. I mean, and we were very dedicated. So when I told my dad I wanted to be a pastor, part of me thought, oh, he'd be like, yay, we've done it. We've accomplished something. And he was like, are you out of your mind? Mind? No. Now my dad loves God, and and uh, and he's happy that I have uh, you know have served over twenty years now as a pastor. So you know he came around pretty quickly, actually. But but um, the reaction uh, was one that I didn't really fully anticipate. I kind of thought maybe he'd be concerned. I didn't realize how concerned he'd be, and so we talked it through. We we had lengthy conversations until finally he went okay you know what, this sounds like the right thing for you. And so um, anticipating barriers that may come, sometimes you can't and sometimes you can. And then what you do, and this is step four, assuming you've gotten past these, gotten past these barriers, is, is uh, the Elmers say, you need to practice new information. You need to, it's sort of like, um, you, I, I don't know if, you're, if you do this, I do this. I buy a new pair of shoes. And most shoes you cannot return after you've like scuffed up the soles and you have dirt on them. I mean, you know, I mean, who wants to buy a used pair of shoes? Uh, actually, I, I, I don't, I'm not opposed to it. You know, eBay is a great place to buy used shoes, by the way, if you're ever looking. But, but um, if you buy a new pair of shoes and you want to reserve the right to return them, what do you do? You, you wear them around your house. Maybe for a week until you feel like, okay, I'm going to, these are going to go, these are going to be good shoes. This is a good size. I like these. And so you, you wear them around where they're not going to get dirty. You, you, you try, you're trying out the shoes. And step four is you're, you're trying out this new information. You're, you're trying to live it out. You're trying to figure out, does this work? How does this work? What, what, what? By living out, what new questions does this pose for me in my in my life now? I mean, what, what am I able to do? What am I not able to do? Um, okay, I, I've succeeded in this. Um, I, now, I, now there's a new area that I need to kind of flesh out. I, I remember many, many years ago, um, I'd shared that I grew up regular church going, but like a lot of church going kids, I had my church life and I had my other life. And that's a very, very familiar testimony for many people who grew up in, uh, in a very religious home. And so a lot of my friends at school may not have been fully aware that I was a regular church going kid because I, um, I used a more, uh, Vulgar vocabulary, let's just say. Um, I would have gotten an R rating in the way I talked with other people. And part of that was the school I attended and the community I was involved in all around uh, Lansing, Michigan, my hometown. And so um, I remember feeling convicted that, that the Lord would not, he would be pleased if I, if I uh, quit uh, using certain R-rated swear words. Now, this is going to sound really funny, but this is how my 14, 15-year-old mind reasoned it through at the time, which was, I got to quit using the, the big, big, nasty swear words. I can keep the, like, the small ones. The British swear words, I can keep those, but the, like, the, you know, the ones that'll get you the bad rating in a movie, I got to quit using those. And I did. And I remember like trying that out. I remember a week goes by and I'm like, I haven't used the F word. Hey, I feel really accomplished. Now today, this sounds really funny, but but going back and 
my 14, 15 year old self, that was a, that was trying on, I was trying on an idea that's found in particularly the New Testament where the apostle Paul says, you know, you should course talk shouldn't be, you know, that shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. You should be, you should be known for the way you speak and the way you speak. I'm paraphrasing Paul, by the way, if you start looking up that verse, you're not going to find it. But he talks about the importance of in our speech to, to be people of honor and integrity. And so throughout the years or in that phase of my life, I began to correct through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, the way I was speaking. And, uh, and so people who knew me later on in say my high school career, they would have never known that there was this other phase of, uh, of, uh, uh, sailor talk as my mother used to call it. So this is practicing this new information, trying it on. It's a series of success, success and failure. But this step is important in your group. So this is like even when you're trying on new information within your small group is to kind of go, hey, you know, how's it going? How, how is, you know, you've introduced something. People have talked about it. They've talked about how they're going to apply it. They've talked about the barriers. So at some point in, in one of your group meetings, go, how's that going? Maybe it's during prayer time. Maybe you have a special group meeting where you talk that through and go, how, how are we doing at trying on this new information? It, no judgment. Let's talk about both what's going well and what's not going well. If you think about it, this is the every support recovery group. This is an important piece of the growth and development of every member of a support and recovery group, which is they, they're trying on sobriety. They're trying on a life free of an, addic an addiction. And the, so they come into the meeting and they share stories of what? Success. Hey, I had this pull this deep desire I wanted to, to indulge so bad. How'd it go? Well, I didn't. And so there's a celebration of it. Or there's a, well, I failed. And then what? Is there judgment? Not in a good support recovery group. There's a, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when the, the next challenge comes across? And so this is practicing new information. And then step five is the integration of this new information. It's like it, it now becomes part of your life. I don't have to really think about the way I speak anymore. I don't have to think, oh, don't say a word like that right now. You know, it's very interesting um, that that uh, every now and then, uh, and it just so happened, I won't even describe the incident because then regardless of when you're listening to this, you'll think of a contemporary illustration. But it just so happened a guy got caught on a hot mic saying something he deeply regretted later. Sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? You can fill in any detail you want because that seems to happen constantly. And what's that guy say? The guy says, you know, well, I, I, I didn't know the microphone was on. That's really the truth, but that's not what he says or she says, but it's almost always a he. They, they say, um, that, that's not really what I meant. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I was really, uh, you know, distracted. Uh, the most recent one occurred right here in Oklahoma. The guy said, well, I've, I have diabetes. And I laughed because I have diabetes and I'm like, mm, that's funny. I have type one diabetes and I've never really used it as an excuse for that, but whatever. And I don't, I'm not trying to judge people here. I'm, what I'm getting at is, is that, that out of the, out of the heart 
the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus says. You know, in other words, um, when we when we begin to live an entirely different way and we frame things in an entirely different way where honoring God becomes so central to our being, then guess what happens? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And um, you don't have to study how to be an encouraging person if in your heart you're like, I want to be an encouraging person. Using that as an example, one of my friends who, uh, he's just one of the most encouraging people I've ever known. And so I asked him, his name's Kent, and I said, Kent, um, tell me, explain this one to me. Why is it that you're so encouraging? And and, uh, and Kent said, I, I still remember, this, is, this changed my life. This truth, I can retain it to this day. He says to me, well, most people have a, have a script in their life that tells them they're no good and they're failures. And I never want to contribute to the the script of self-doubt and of, of beating themselves up. I never want to contribute to that. And when he said that, I thought that is one of the most godly things a person could think about another person. Uh, it isn't uh, the art of encouragement. It's an entirely different way of thinking about the situation most human beings are in where they feel beat down, they feel broken, battered, bruised. And so they might put on a show, but most people feel this way. And so Kent, in his mind, he's like, I don't want to help that out. I don't want them, I don't want to say something to them that will haunt them for years to come. And most of us have a line, right? We, we can see a face and we can hear a voice. And it was a person who said, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not attractive enough, strong enough, whatever. We almost all of us have that voice in our head. And it was from somebody who contributed to a negative script. And so when my Kent, my friend Kent said, I don't want to contribute to that, it, it, it impacted my heart. I found value in that information. I began to ponder, that's true in my marriage. That's true with my children. That's true with my parents. That's true with a stranger that I stand in line next to at a grocery store. That's true of the people I work with and the people I worship with. They, they probably feel that way too. So I don't want to help them feel worse. I don't want to make them feel worse. So pondering that application, well, there's barriers. Sometimes people drive you nuts. Sometimes you want to tell them they're lousy, right? And so you have to think through, but will that solve anything? No. So you begin to practice the new information. I began to practice it. And so step five is it's it's this full integration. You're that person. That's how you that's how you roll. That you you're not in you know, you're not bitter towards people, you're not angry towards people, you're an encourager towards them. So there's just one little illustration that happens to be in my life. I I hope I encourage more than I discourage anybody. And so um uh, what I really appreciate is that it, it's this book, the 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 uh, the book, the the learning cycle is just a. I hope that you go buy it, but where they where they land it is they say the point isn't to learn new things. The point for a believer, because they're Christians and they're writing for a Christian audience about how to further integrate the Christian faith into your life, the result is Christ likeness. That's the result. That's the goal. Christ likeness. Remember what Paul said. I want to present everybody fully mature in Christ. And, and so what they say is that, that Christ-likeness, that's a matter of character. That's a matter of integrity. That's a matter of wisdom. That the character, meaning the, the, 
life choices you make, the way you carry yourself, the way you handle your finances and the way you handle um, your, your personal life and your public life, all those things. And then the integrity is the wholeness. Integrity just means whole. It's the connectedness. A disintegritous life is the person who says something and lives differently. They have no integrity, right? Integrity is these things together. And then wisdom is to think right thoughts about self and about others and about situations. And so they say, look, if you, if this plays out, if this plays out, you, you, these steps retain new information. Step one, step two, you value that new information. Step three, you ponder applications of this information. You deal with the barriers, the inevitable barriers that show up. And then step four, you practice, you try on this new information. And then step five, it's the integration of this new information. You you do this and around the corner is Christ-likeness. And uh, back to Colossians 1. It's my, one of my favorite books Paul ever wrote. It's so poetic. There's this line in the first chapter. It's right before he talks about presenting people fully mature. He says, Christ in you, hope of glory. Isn't that a good line? Christ in you, hope of glory. Now there's a... There's a line, if you memorize scripture, you can memorize that one pretty easy. Um, that If you just marinate on God's word, take on the flavor of God's word, ask yourself, what's it mean that Christ lives in me? And then that hope of glory, sure, eternity. Yeah, that's obvious. And that's a big one. I'm looking forward to it. But it's also the hope of God's glory living out through my life, my family, my group, my church, my community. What an incredible vision that Paul had. So how do we do it? Well, helps to know how people learn, doesn't it? So hopefully, hopefully that was uh, in, encouraging. I'm one of these times I'm going to bring uh, at least Dwayne Elmer on this uh, podcast and talk this stuff through with him. But in the meantime, I hope you're staying close to the Lord and consuming good books and listening to our other group network podcasts. We got some good ones in here. So in fact, I mentioned sport recovery. We have a conversation, I believe about that in the earlier podcast. You need to, if you missed it, go back and listen. All right, my friends, thank you. Thank you for giving of your time to the leadership journey. I hope this has blessed your soul, encouraged you until next time. I'm Bill Search your host, your guide. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.